Queen in Wilbur in England and uh, points out the, at least I was made aware of being part of the royal family and what that means and there's been a lot of talk about that. We don't always think about the Lord as being majestic, but he is. He is very majestic and very glorious and when you look at Revelation and you see all the worship and praise that is lifted to exalt him, it makes you aware of the greatness of our God. We have a wonderful Savior. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John and let me open this in my prayer. Please. Father, thank you for the privilege to open your word and the responsibility that resides within that. We are helpless without you, and uh, I pray that in the weakness of the speaker and the difficulties of distractions in our lives, I pray that in spite of those things, you will be pleased to meet us where we are, and that your word will be clear and your name exalted and uplifted and our lives will be challenged by you tonight. I do thank you for this day. I'm really enjoying Adam this morning. I thank you for his heart. Thank you for his response. I sent him a text afterwards and we were just kind of enjoying talking about the verse and some of the things it says to us. Thank you for the fellowship that we can have together around your word and the joy that is a result of that. That's one of the things John talks about. It's writing this letter so that I might have joy. Thank you for that reality. Thank you for the pleasure that you bring to us. Thank you for the security that is ours and for the certainty of some things that are true in spite of the fact that we are living in a very uncertain age and a very confusing time. These things confusing to us, they're not to you. And we know that you have everything under control. So I thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege that we have to now to look at your word. And I pray that in spite of the limitations of the speaker, your word will speak to us and challenge us and to convict us and make us what you want us to be. And ask this in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, you know that we're looking at First John, new book uh, for me, and uh, and it, it is um, written actually to help counteract the, the church, help counteract some confusing thoughts that were developing dealing with the person of Jesus Christ, which makes me think, as I'm thinking about this, that that's one of the purposes behind this, and it makes me realize how important the issue of our doctrine is, especially when relating to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that what we believe does matter. And it affects, it affects our lives. It affects how we respond. Um, the question Adam asked this morning at the beginning was, what am I doing here? Well, we want to, to serve the Lord. We want to live for him. 
why do we want to do that? Um, it's because we love him and we want to serve him and uh, we want to please him. I, I've thought about that many times. I've thought about, Lord, I, I wish that I could really please you. Of course, there are things we know the scripture tells us that we can do to please him, but um, he, he gives us that desire to please him, to really seek to honor him. Uh, Psalm says to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires that he wants you to have. It, basically that, that kind of desire in your heart. And um, that comes from him. And uh, so I pray, and I do that, I told that to Adam in my, my text to him today, that I've been asking the Lord to help me really love him, to really honor him, to really serve him, because I can't do it by myself. I just don't have it there. I don't, don't even, many times, don't even have the desire. I, I, I need him to give me the desire to love him. I need him. Paul said he had a, a concern for the churches, and uh, that's that's really important. I need that concern. Um, I was reading, looking at um, a YouTube video on uh, G3 conference, which, by the way, I don't know if you got Pete's note, but there is a conference coming up. And it would be good if we can all go to it. I, I, I'm going to try to put my money aside and get that, but it would be a good one. But aside from that, the G3 conference, there was a question raised uh, as to what is hyper-Calvinism. And the panel was discussing that and talking about that. Um, and the answer was, I thought it was a very good answer, is that... that Hyper-Calvinism is people that are Calvinists who don't really, aren't really burdened for the loss. They don't really pray. They're not really uh, aggressive in seeking to serve the Lord. Everything, they revel in the sovereignty of God, but they don't pursue obedience to him in the areas of reaching people and things of that nature. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's easy, it's easy to be back, to sit back and think about God's sovereignty without realizing that the Great Commission is a command for me to obey and for you to obey and to be a, a, a Calvinist that makes us sit still and not take that burden lightly and not be burdened for the loss and things like that is to move out of the realm of biblical Christianity and into some kind of cold, steric, uh, legalistic attitude or whatever. So it's important what we do, how we live, and uh, we want to respond to that, and that's one of the things I mentioned to to uh, Alvin. Uh, Alvin, <laughs> no, no, to uh, Alvin. Um, anyway, listen. I wanted to uh, to just kind of we we started talking in this epistle about um, last time we got down to talking a little bit about Gnosticism and things of this nature. Remember that. Uh, as we read through the text, unlike most epistles, there is no name given, first of all, to the author. We know who it is. We know it's John the Apostle. The almost unanimous early church testimony, very strong testimony was that it was John. Everybody, there's no, no real argument against that. But there is no indication as to what group it was written to. There's no church or organization that I know of that I could find in there that it was being written to. But it is written to believers, and uh, it is written in such a fashion as to emphasize the historical nature of the relationship that the, that the apostle had with the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that John 
was aged when he wrote this. He was an older gentleman. Still, still was in good health. He was writing and doing some traveling and stuff, but he was up in age. And uh, it was pretty well accepted that he was at Ephesus where he was writing this. And he wrote all of his, his writings, his gospel and his three epistles, and then the Apocalypse of Revelation, uh, pretty much near the end of the, the first century. And I don't know how close together they were, but it doesn't seem to be a lot of difference in space and time. He just went on a, a writing how much else he wrote for us. We were looking at his first epistle, First John, uh, um, <clears throat> and he writes, and notice how he starts out. Uh, he starts out with the statement, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. That these things he's talking about fellowship together, that word fellowship is to the word communion, that we can have fellowship and communion together and have a close relationship together. And these things are hinged around the understanding and pursuing and following uh, the Jesus that is presented to us in scripture, the one who came and lived and died. So much depends on that. If we get the wrong picture there, we've already missed the boat. And so it's really, really important that we understand who he is and, and what he's done and what he's asking us to do. And so we, we want to, to do that. Now in this, this text here, we're going to pick up uh, talking about the gospel and the Gnostics because that's kind of where I left off before. And I'm sort of jumping around. I've got a lot of notes here that I'll be giving quotes to from several authors. One prominent is Reese. I'll be quoting a little bit from him because he, he goes into the text uh, pretty well. But uh, Robinson mentions that John wrote his gospel to prove the deity of our Lord, assuming his humanity, whereas he wrote the first epistle to prove his humanity, assuming his deity. In other words, let me explain that to you. We have the word that John uses, that which was in the beginning. That word beginning um, is a word that is used three prominent times in the scripture that are noteworthy here. There's many other times, I have it on my cell phone, I could track it down, all the different references. But they, there are three times. One of them is in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the start. The beginning is when uh, the God created the heavens and the earth, the universe and everything in it. And uh, so that, that's the beginning. That's when creation started. That's when he took, 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 took it. The second place, and took to create the earth. The second place that beginning is used is in the beginning of John's gospel. That reads, in the beginning was the word, or in the beginning already existed the word. And in that gospel, 
Well, John takes the term beginning and he goes back to the one who already existed. That is the, the word. So that John says in the beginning, when everything was already created, there already existed the word. There already existed Jesus. He antedated creation. He is before anything else. Now, if he is, if he was before anything else was created, then that means he's uncreated. And that means he's eternal. That means he's God. So he has to, pre, to, to predate those things. Do you see what I'm saying? So John's gospel, I don't know if it's easy to see up here, but John's gospel starts in the beginning and goes back to uh, in time to say that the Lord, the word already existed. Now in first John, he starts at the same place, the beginning, and he goes forward this time, not to, to prove his deity, but to discuss and prove his humanity. Most of it, 99.9% .9 of it, it takes place during the life of the Lord. There are a few references in the Old Testament that um, give, well, I shouldn't say a few. There are a lot more than a few. There are quite a few references in the Old Testament that picture Christ and his coming and his work. He's pictured throughout. But he's very clearly specified in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels and in, in church age and stuff. So I don't know if I'm confusing you or not, but uh, the Gospel of John puts a stake at the beginning and goes back to prove that Jesus, uh, that the word existed before creation. In 1 John, he puts a stake down at the beginning and moves forward to prove that uh, Jesus uh, is human and real and that he, he begins to discuss him. We've seen him and heard him, we've touched him and things like this. That's important. And I, I don't know, uh, I don't know how to emphasize that, but it's important that we know that we have a real Savior. There's a lot of things that have gone on in church history and in the history of the world that affect us. And sometimes we ignore those things, and sometimes we make light of things that we shouldn't make light of. We just finished uh, kind of the anniversary, if you will, of the 9 11. And uh, that was, uh, if you watch Fox, they made a big thing about it. But, a lot of people kind of ignore that. It's just something that's come and gone, and it's nothing. But it is something. It's an important milestone in our history. It's something that, that uh, we should learn from and show appreciation for what a lot of people did uh, in sacrificing for others and things of this nature. We have a lot. We have a real debt that we owe to a lot of people who have done a lot of things, good things, that we benefit from that sometimes we can forget about those things. We can just kind of gloss over them and we get so busy. I shouldn't say we, I get so busy doing my own thing. Sometimes I ignore these things. And one of the places that that is easily done is in the church and church history. We uh, recognize that the churches sometimes have, have got out of line and things. We see that even today we see churches sometimes that take important things kind of lightly and kind of get detours and sometimes churches will play politics and things of this nature just like we do we're filled with the churches are filled with people that are sinners that are saved by grace and so we can do that but what we want to say is that what we do and how we respond to things particularly to the person of jesus christ his life his death his, his humanity and his word that he's given to us makes everything it, it's just the difference between night and day it's it's actually the it's the the uh, switch that turns heaven our own off it's if we come to him and trust him and rely on him he begins to work that's what i've been praying and asking the lord in my life 
help me put him first because so often he's not first. So often he's an afterthought when I get up and I'm thinking of other things. And Jesus uh, in his life, I'm very confident. He always got up early in the morning. And I think one of the things he did was he prayed about his day and what was going to happen. And uh, uh, I don't know to what degree of detail he knew in his humanness what was going to happen throughout the day. But I do know he was always available and was always open to the leading of the Spirit. And he did the things that were pleasing to the Lord. And John wants us to know that. He wants us to see this one that lived this perfect life. And uh, I'd like to see him too. I want to, to be pleasing to him. And I want to be honoring to him. And I want, I, I try to think about that at times. I want to think, Lord, I want to, to see your smile. I want to honor you. And uh, I want you to be um, the boss. That was what uh, Phyllis Mullen, I don't know if you remember Phyllis Mullen, but we talked to her and we were talking that, that he was the Lord. And she said, you mean he's the boss? And I said, yes, he's the boss. So, uh, and, that, and that's and it's a good thing because he's a good boss. He's not a tyrant. He's a, he's, he, he simply tells us to put him first, which is an impossible thing to do. We can't do that. But he will enable us to do that. And that's the best life of all. We'll put him first. So here is this passage that John wrote, and he was he's trying to prove uh, the humanity of Jesus. Um, and he writes there in the text, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. He's maintained the real humanity of our Lord. And uh, the, those Gnostics, there were two groups among them that were kind of, agreeing that the essential matter of our Lord, essential matter period, and that of the Lord specifically was evil. Both groups had their private opinions regarding the person of the Lord. The Diocetic uh, Gnostics denied his, his actual humanity. Uh, it comes from the word dakeo, which, which means to seem. And so they argued that our Lord uh, only seemed to have a body but not a real physical body. This is just kind of the stupidity that we can go through when we want to deny the scriptures. By the way, if you take your, your bulletin today, and in it is a printout of, of uh, something to do with hemoglobin. I forget now what it is, but that is a very interesting article of the gullibility of people who want to deny creation. It's what the hurdles they have to jump over and the, the camels they have to swallow while straining at gnats and things of this nature to deny creation and try to formulate their theories, which are not tenable, is, is just it's beyond. It shows the, the, the hardness of man's heart and the unbelief of man. So anyway, <clears throat> here is this. Uh, they were saying that the human body was not real. It was not a physical body. Um, and there was some that also said that, uh, that the Christ spirit, that Jesus was the man born, not of a virgin, by the way, but born of the son of Joseph. And uh, he was, Jesus was born. And then the God's Christ spirit came upon him at his baptism when he was baptized and left him just before the cross. And he was abandoned on the cross by, his, by God. Uh, and his, his deception actually is what it seems to be. And so, but these, these are, are theories that completely contrary to scripture and you can't hold these theories and be a believer you can't do that they they, they, they do not coexist and so here is this this picture these these 
different opinions about the Lord, about his humanity. And so John wants us to know that he knew, knew the Lord personally. And remember, John is now the aged apostle. Uh, there may be some that are his age or older, but most are a lot younger. And so he's the, the voice that, and he's highly respected. He's the, in the church, very highly respected. And so when he comes walking in to the room, people really look up to him and they gather around to him. Makes me think a little bit about Paul Teasdale and how we would come in and people really look up to him because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of where he's been, and because of the background. And that man is phenomenal. I have not met many people that, that like Paul and like um, Warner, and they have that background of strong commitment and dedication that has permeated their life. And it's just really, it's really, it's a good, good do you understand what I'm saying? It's a good witness, it's a good testimony. It speaks. A lot. You know, you talk to the man and you realize that you're talking to a little bit of the surface of the iceberg, but there's a massive commitment and history in their lives underneath. And it just adds so much weight to it. So here is this, this uh, picture here of this, this uh, man that, that we know as Jesus, who is greatness of his person. And uh, we are talking about him. And John wants us to know that he is who he said he is. He is the Lord. And John came into, would come into the room having spent time with Jesus and walking with him. He was the disciple that leaned on Jesus Christ. He was the disciple, the apostle, that uh, when they wanted to ask Jesus a question, they would turn to John and John would ask him, who is it that's going to betray you? And things of this nature. He had a close, a very close relationship with the Lord. Um, he does not identify himself in the gospel by name, and he doesn't identify himself in these um, epistles by name. He does in the, in the Revelation. But, uh, the, and the reason probably is just he's humble, and the reason he doesn't need to, because everybody knew him that well. They, was very, they were very familiar with him, which is a good testimony. And he's one of the people, there's several people, this is kind of a detour now, but there's several people that I'm looking forward to meeting when I get to heaven, of course, the Lord. Knows that, but I, I want to meet Job. I want to spend some time with him. But John is one I'd like to talk to. John is a, is really a, a great man. Um, just, it's, it's nice to hear and read about him. And John MacArthur wrote a book on these 12 men, and it, it's very interesting to read because he does a good job of getting all the different things about, about the, and by the way, you can, if you have a chance to download the app, Grace to You app, you can get these messages out of the morning, the 30-minute John MacArthur messages. They're numbered by day. And he, one of the series that he goes through is the apostles, the 12 apostles. And you can get 30 minutes of each of the apostles. And that's really very fascinating. He does such a good job of that. So anyway, just you can download it from Play Store. doesn't cost anything. And then you can listen to the, to the uh, Grace to You apps, 30 minutes. The whack and it's just really it's very good. They're listed there, and anyway, I, I just uh, it, it, uh, that's I've told several people about that. If they don't have a quiet time, you need a quiet time. You should do that. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time in reading your Bible. If you can put that into your your system and give a thirty minute listen to John, that'll be a good addition to your Bible reading because he's really thorough. He's really sound, and uh, it'll change your heart and change your life. So I recommend that. But anyway, so here's, here's uh, John, the apostle, talking about Jesus. 
uh, and he's talking about his humanity. Um, and it, uh, he says the first, one of the first proofs that he mentions there is that um, his fellow, his followers, including John, heard him speak in a human voice, which um, maybe it sounds kind of, but it's not. It's when you when somebody speaks, that does mean that they're communicating, they're communicating intelligently, uh, that they have all their faculties working, and they heard him speaking in a human voice, and it was understandable. And uh, so John, um, John, he, he, when he spoke and he heard, heard him speak in a human voice, it was it was related in the perfect tense. The perfect tense speaks of um, something that has taken place in the past but has lingering results. And so when he when Jesus spoke in a human voice in the perfect tense, what he's saying there is that what Jesus said. Did not just pass off into oblivion, but it it accomplished what it was sent to accomplish. It's like God's word. That, that word is uh, has a verse say that word that said God will not allow His word return void. He will accomplish what it always sent it. And so this is the the case here. And what it means, what he's saying there is that what Jesus spoke and what's recorded. Um, it still applies. It may be a thousand years old, what he said, but it is as powerful at this moment as it was in the moment that it's spoken from the lips of the Lord himself. And uh, so the, the communication goes forth and the result of that, we still, in fact, <clears throat> over and over again in the New Testament, you read where Jesus says, it stands written, talking about the Old Testament, it stands written. You, you can interpret that um, um, whether it, it, it is written and you can interpret that it stands written that the text is written it is recorded and now we are accountable to it Jesus told the disciples when he, the mountain there at the end of the book of Matthew when he was going to be ascending into heaven um, he said all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth therefore you need to be going and making disciples and teaching them to obey whatever I command you and I'm with you to the end of the age and uh, what he said is still in force. And his command is still before us, and we still are accountable. And I don't know if that affects you, but it does me. Especially when I see that I'm not obeying it as much as I should. And I need to be more serious about it. And so you, we all need to be serious about those things. We really do. And so here's the Lord, and this is, he was speaking here in the perfect tense, <clears throat> which means that there were linear results of what he spoke. And John um it is also it's interesting to note and the writer here says it, that it's worthy of note that john did not use the aorist tense in the greek which simply talked about the fact of the communication but that he spoke in such a way that the people are accountable to what he said um and so the fact is that that um Jesus, that John goes out of his way to make sure that we understand these things in the text, that what he spoke went out and there is still accountability for this. Now, um, I think one of the other reasons why uh, that he does this, he, he uses that in the present tense is because it, it meant that he spoke not just once or twice, but multiple times. He spoke a lot and there was a lot of communication going and that communication 
uh, kind of seals the fact that this one who lived here, lived here for a long period of time and he spoke a lot and there was a lot of response, a lot of hearing, a lot of recording of these things. And so it seems to be that he just wants us to know that Jesus was here. And uh, John 14 said, tells us that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then John says, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the uniquely born of God, full of grace and truth. And the truth is one of the aspects that deals with his communication. That he spoke, he spoke truth, and that truth we are accountable for, and other people are accountable for. And Jesus said it's going to be his words are going to people will be judged by his words, what he said. So he, he's not a toy. He's not just an icon. He's not just a figure of history. He's the Lord of glory. And the one that John is presenting who actually came and walked the streets of Jerusalem and spoke and, and lived. And there is accountability. There is responsibility. There is obedience that's required. And when we know these things, uh, we are happy if we obey. There is accountability. So, uh, the thing that might be that the writer mentioned here of Jesus uh, and when he uh, began to, to hear him speak near the end of his the end of AD's early 30s and the time John wrote is a period of about 60 years it's interesting that John could remember some of these things that they do and that people would tend to listen to him and I'm sure they did because they, they loved uh, his word. Remember you were talking about that in, John's, in, the, in the lesson is how people, they were, while his miracles were powerful, his words what changed hearts and lives. That's, that's the, what has the eternal life, the, who has the words of eternal life, Peter said. And uh, so it's his words that are powerful. And so he's, he's uh, they were able to remember those words, but more than that is that the Holy Spirit brings those things to your remembrance. What he says, I have many things to say to you if you can't bear them now, but when he, the Holy Spirit, is coming, he will bring these things to your remembrance. Mm -hmm. I've said to you. And so he will do that. And so he's shepherding and protecting these things that the Lord spoke uh, to the people. There are several things that, uh, that are important with that. And the one is the inspiration of the scriptures, and the other is that the, the experiences that John and the rest of the apostles. Um, saw in the Lord are repeated for us under inspiration so that we have the example. It's like, well, it's like being there, really. It's like we're there and we're watching the Lord and we're, we're witnessing these things. And we, so we take um, the healing of Jairus' daughter or the woman that had the issue of blood and we go over those things and we study them and we read them. And we, we can visually picture those things in our mind. We go over them and you cannot exhaust them. You can go, keep going over them and, and study them. And more and more and more you can see the majesty. We say majesty tonight, the, the majesty and the glory of this one that uh, walked the earth. And uh, his, his heart, his life and his work and his words are preserved for us. And so uh, this, this is good. Um, Let's see here. One of the passages that, that uh, helps, I think, um, 
to, to get a picture of this is when we look at John's gospel, we find that Jesus at the beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. That passage opens up with what I'm going to call the fellowship between the word and the father, the close connection that the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. One of the translations that I remember as a younger Christian was in this face-to-face. There was that equal fellowship between the word and God the Father. There was that level communication. You don't get that level communication between a king and a slave. You can only get it between equals. And that's a, that's a very interesting thing to me uh, that uh, here is this picture of the word and the Father being together in fellowship. And that word fellowship is an important word because John uses it as well. Uh, he talks about, um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, verse three, it says, um, we have seen what we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you. The things we've seen, the things we've heard, the things we know we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us. You may have communion with us is what he says. And indeed, our communion is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here's this, this communion that we can have with God the Father as we learn about the Son and what he was like and how he was in communion with the Father. Um, that, that word fellowship, that word communion is, is a synonym for salvation, really. If you didn't have that, if you didn't have that fellowship, you wouldn't be in, in you wouldn't, uh, be really saved. You'd have to be now. Fellowship. Sometimes we talk about breaking fellowship. But what we do is we lose the joy because the fellowship you can't lose. The, if it's real salvation, you can't lose that. And so this is important to to me in, in thinking also that we have this fellowship with the Father and uh, with the Son. Um, one of the words that's also used in this text is the word seeing. Says further proof of our Lord's actual humanity, John turns to the sense of vision. This is Weist writing, says the, the distinctive word he uses is the word seeing, which is horeo, which refers to the physical act of seeing, giving prominence to the discerning mind, to mental perception, to mental activity by the use of the particular Greek word for the act of seeing. John assumes, assures his readers that he did not only had he not only had sensory impressions on his retina, but he understood what he was looking at. He was a correct interpreter. He is a correct interpreter of the events in our Lord's life for the reader. He says he saw the saints and the, the events in the Lord's life with his eyes. I, I think of uh, Job, where Job says that uh, though I, my body is riding away, I will see the Lord my eyes will see him, not another, but behold, my eyes will see him. And that kind of stresses here, John saying that, that he personally saw him. These are things that he saw. How else can one uh, see anything except by the aid of we says glasses, because that, that's an older writing. But while this is a self-evident thing, yet John felt it necessary to mention it in order to be absolutely sure that his readers understood him to be referring to the sensory impressions from our Lord's actual human body. They were actual discerning impressions and not optical illusions or a fiduciation, fiduciation, um, what? Fiduciation, yeah, thank you. Um, and again, with this, he uses the present tense. And doing this, his readers, uh, 
I'm sure that the things he saw concerning our Lord are indelibly retained in his mind's eye, and that that effect of that is, is ongoing, that the things that he saw and remember. And so you can see John, I can see him, uh, and I've done that with relations that I've had. You look at, uh, you remember somebody, you remember something that took place or something that happened, and there's, there's visions in your mind impressed upon your heart and it has an effect on you and particularly John for these things that he saw um, he could close his eyes and, and our Lord in, in his mind would appear to him as he appeared some 60 years before and uh, the translation that we get from that is that which we have seen with discernment by means of our eyes in which as a present result we have in our mind's eye. And so that that uh, is another statement there that has to do with it. Go on, going on down quickly because I'm going to be running out of time. He says, um, John did not only see our Lord with discerning eyes, he looked upon him. And here he uses another word which means to see. Um, and it's a uh, theomai, which means to behold and view attentively or completely. And the early classical usage included the idea of wondering regard. Thayer says that the idea gradually faded out to give place to, quote, such a looking as seeks merely satisfaction of the sight of the sense of light. However, he goes on to say, we can conclude that after John and his fellow disciples had seen our Lord with discerning eyes, they looked with a contemplation that was mingling, that was a mingling wonder, awe, and admiration. Remember, I'm talking about this, and it's important to remember this, what John says in John 114. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That means that we were like spectators beholding um, maybe one of the best illustrations is how we go out to look at fireworks when they have a big display of fireworks and it's, they it really takes off. You sit there and you just look with wonder and awe. And that's kind of what John says. We beheld not just his person, but his actions, his word, everything about him. We beheld the contrast. We beheld the greatness. We beheld his majesty. We beheld his, his love. We beheld him. We saw his anger with the cleansing of the temple. He was hot. And uh, when he turned over those tables, the people didn't grab the money. They ran because they knew. They, they realized this was, this was, he was serious about it. And, uh, you, you, we just, you can't help but love the Lord. When you see what he's like and you see how he acted and what he did and what he did for us it's just it's magnificent this word there that's used there theomai is the word from which we get the, the english word theater they looked at him uh, like a spectacle and john in this case uses the aorist tense which simply means the stressing if you will of the fact of seeing him and mentioning him after having established the permanent accuracy of his observations to use in the use of the perfect tense, he uses the aorist tense here, which just stresses we have actually, really, and truly seen. And that's just what stresses that. It just puts that, puts that nail into our, into, our, uh, into our minds. And so um, the translation of that was that which we gazed upon as a spectacle, we really saw him. And uh, so after establishing proof of our Lord's humanity, I'm reading from Weist again, um, the specific scientific mediums of sense of hearing and sight, John terms 
that uh, of touch. The words have handled, or the translation of Basalapeo, I believe is the best way to pronounce it. It means to handle, to touch, to feel. We touched him. Uh, John's at the upper room was right next to him and he kind of dwelt upon his breast and he was very close to the Lord. <coughs> uh, in late Greek, it meant to examine closely. The verb means to handle with a view to investigation. Um, so the word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament when a blind Isaac felt the hands of Jacob in Genesis 27, 22. The old man puzzled at the voice of Jacob and handled uh, handled his hands with the view to investigating whether the speaker was really Esau. The same word is used in Luke 24, 39, where our Lord says, Hump, uh, handle me with a view to investigate and see because the spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see I have. And so our Lord's proof to the disciples that he was, uh, was raised uh, in a physical body and is not still in the grave. He said, you can handle me and, and, and tell that I am. They handled his body, investigating his claim to have a body, flesh and bones. John undoubtedly has reference to this occurrence. It's the only reference to our Lord's resurrection in that epistle. And then uh, the, the whole expanded translation that I'm going to give you, this is how he tra translates this passage we just looked at, reads as follows. Is that which is from the beginning, that which we have heard and at this present moment is ringing in our ears, that which we have seen with discernment and with our eyes, and which is at the present moment in our mind's eye, that which we gazed upon as a spectacle and our hands handled with a view to investigation concerning the word of life. Uh, so there are four things in that phrase, talking about handle, see, and touch like that. Um, relates to the view of the word of life. And then the word logos, before I leave that, that word logos that we have for the word is John's particular designation of, of uh, the Lord. John 1 in the beginning was the word. It, it talks about uh, referring to the Lord as communication, as logos, as logic, as the, as the, uh, the life, the organization, and the, the truth of God. Um, it refers to the total concept. Our Lord is the Logos of God in the sense that he is the total concept of God as seen through human medium. His humanity consisting of his, his human body, his human limitations, his human life lived on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. John calls him, just one more thing, John calls him the word of the life. And that's to translate the specific, the definite article before life. And it's not translated in the English words but it has to do with the specific, the life of God that, that uh, is available, the eternal life. And so he says that, um, that we held him uh, and investigating and, and, uh, and loved him and heard him and all this concerning him as the word of the life, the life of God, which is revealed in concrete form in the humanity of our Lord. So it's, it's kind of a lot. In there. And I know I've gone kind of fast over that, but it's interesting to me to see what John stresses there and to just get a little bit of background information. Uh, I know it's hard to follow when you're reading somebody else's text there, but Weiss was good and I just wanted to share that with you. So um, we have a good Savior. We really do. And we have a lot to be thankful for. He went, when you read about the Gospels, when you read about Him in the Gospels, 
then you see what he went through and what he endured. And it wasn't, it wasn't like it was with the children of Israel in Egypt, where they were under the oppression and they cried out to God and God heard and remembered the covenant. It's not like that. We weren't crying out for anything. We were just in desperate need and he knew it. And he chose to come and he designed the entire scenario, the entire salvation program. He designed it from beginning to end, even to the point of putting our names down in advance uh, and deciding that he was going to reach us and bring us to himself. And uh, that cost him a lot. But the, the rewards for us are boundless. And so we are just so, so blessed, so blessed to, to know him, to have him love us and to have him die for us and to put our names down, write it down. So many things are hard to nail down certainly uh, in certainty. And it seems that it might be easy for him to make mistakes. Like for the one I thought about is what happened if he wrote my name down, but then when my parents, when I was born, they gave me a different name. <laughs> just, I mean, I'm just thinking about that, but he, he made sure. Not what he, it's not that he knew what was going to happen. That would make him a spectator, but he knew what he was doing. He knew how to do it. And, and he works through, that's one reason why it's, I think why he works so slow in my life and in our lives. We want, we want, we want to come to him and we want to say, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for this event or praying for this thing. And so then we, we'd like to begin to see the things turn to that. But he, he doesn't usually answer the prayers like that by entering, inter, intervening in a miraculous, instant manner. He works through circumstances. He works through people. He works through events. And he does it all. And that's one reason why I think it takes so much time and stuff. But he's working all of these things out. So that in the ultimate end, his perfect will is accomplished and we are secure in him. And uh, he's so good. It's just so really good. Let me, let me close in prayer.